0: SECTION 20 OF THE JUNIOR CLASSICS VOLUME 9 STORIES OF TODAY THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN FOR MORE INFORMATION OR TO VOLUNTEER PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG RECORDING BY APRIL 6090 CALIFORNIA, UNITED STATES OF AMERICA THE CALL OF THE SEA BY FREDERICK PALMER the only memory of his father that franklin thompson had was the photograph of a young naval officer in uniform which his mother with tears in her eyes often showed him she died when franklin was six leaving him her only cause for living longer to the care of his father's brother when he realized how unwelcome he was in his new home the only solace he had in the world was the photograph he would look at it for an hour at a time and read again, and again, the inscription on the back. Before he was quite alone in the world, he had heard the sea a-calling. On his holidays he would walk to the shore, and watch the ships go and come. Each was a speaking individuality, which he would recognize should he see it again. The salt breath was ever in his nostrils, the tang of salt spray in his veins. When he was eleven his cousin Edward, five years his senior, received the appointment to Annapolis. If Franklin felt any envy, he stifled it. The inscription on the photograph in his father's own hand forbade that. Be honest. Envy nobody. Strive hard. It ran. Two years later, Franklin knew that his school days were at an end. I'll look for a place for you to learn some business, said his uncle, as if the boy's preferences for an occupation did not count early the next morning franklin went to the great bay near his home as he always did when he was heavy of heart three men of war one a new battleship their white sides gleaming rested their enormous weights on the water as gently as swans on the battleship it was visiting day from her side the monster reached down her big gangway with holy stoned steps and immaculate rope AS A GALLANT OFFICER OFFERS HIS HAND TO A LADY. AT THE THRESHOLD OF THE DECK FRANKLIN PAUSED, AS ONE WHO SUDDENLY SEES HIS DREAMS MATERIALIZE IN BROAD DAYLIGHT. NO ONE OF THE KNOTS OF SIGHTSEERS, GOING HERE AND THERE WITH THE SPECTATOR'S ahs AND OCCASIONAL QUESTIONS, NOTICED THE BOY, WHO STOOD IMMOVABLE, NOTING EVERY DETAIL OF THE Leviathan. EACH GUN SEEMED TO HIM A LIVING THING he saw some jackies going about their appointed duties and others under the shade of the awnings aft mending their clothes the officer of the deck must be the happiest man in the world franklin thought he imagined how his father must have looked pacing back and forth in the same way oh and if his father were only alive then perhaps he too might go to annapolis he looked up at the bridge and imagined himself in a great storm with the spray stinging his face and blinding his eyes, and the mountain of steel as obedient to his commands, as a bicycle to the turn of the handlebar. "'Wouldn't you like to look around a bit?' asked a voice at his elbow. Its owner, Franklin Saw, was a boy of about his own age, dressed like the Jackies in summer white. "'Would I? Would I?' The way Franklin asked the question was answering enough for any one boy to another." i guess you'll do said his new friend laughing my name's harry grimm i'm apprentice jerry showed how the ammunition was hoisted for the thirteen-inch gun by touching a button he slipped a shell into the breech of one of the three-inch rapid fires but he was quite unable to answer all of his guests questions franklin did not leave the man-of-war until the last boat was going ashore that night he told his uncle of his desire to join the Navy as an apprentice. Uncle William was in an unusually bad temper. He thought a moment and then he said, I don't believe you'll ever be any use in business. Probably you'd run away to see if I got you a place. I'll take you to the Navy yard tomorrow. At any rate, Uncle William thought he would be free from any further responsibility or care for the boy. Nevertheless, he knew what franklin's proud father or his proud mother were either of them alive would say that thought stung him a little while his cousin was at the school where officers are made franklin was to be trained for a seaman edward would begin his career with rank and position just beyond the highest grade that franklin could ever attain franklin must be ever on the forecastle side of the dividing line between officer and man he might rise to be a chief gunner while Edward might be an admiral. But Franklin did not understand this. He was in the period of light-hearted youth when the responsibility for his future rested on his guardian's shoulders. He was entirely under the spell of the call of the sea. A year later found him bound for South America on a small cruiser, which continued around the Horn and on to Hong Kong to join the Asiatic squadron which was even then preparing for the conflict with Spain. In all that long voyage he had never once been seasick, and he had grown to love the sea from familiarity as much as he had loved it in anticipation. On that great morning when the American men-of-war ran into Manila Bay, the executive officer set him to look for torpedo boats. The story of how he reported, with his hand to his cap in salute, torpedo BOAT! on our starboard bow, sir. She's sinking by the bow, sir. She's sunk, went the round of the messes. After the battle came that long period of waiting until the army took the city. When the sun was not as hot as an oven, the clouds poured torrents that rose from the hot awnings in steam. By this time Franklin had come to comprehend the separation of officer and man, as only actual service can reveal it. Sometimes, with cap in hand, he had to pass through the wardroom and the officers' quarters. These, which had been his father's portion, would be his cousins, but could never be his. His fellow apprentices were quite content with the forecastle. They felt more at home aft than they would forward. There was Charlie, for example. Charlie studied as little as he might. He was always getting into mischief, but was withal a bright, good-hearted fellow with the makings of a first-class seaman in him. The Boatswain, known as Pete in the Forecastle, and Deering Forward. And there you have his two names, used to fend off intrusion when Franklin was busy with his books. All his studies had the requirements for admission to Annapolis in view. Not that he expected ever to have his learning put to the test. He knew no one. He had no hope of knowing anyone who could secure for him the coveted appointment it pleased him to be ready. One day, as he was bending over the little box which is at once a seaman's work-basket and wardrobe, the captain, who had strolled aft, stopped by his side and looking over his shoulder saw a photograph. "'Why, that's Thompson!' he exclaimed. "'Is he any relation of yours?' "'My father, sir,' Franklin replied, as he sprang to his feet and saluted. "'I did not know that,' the captain repeated thoughtfully." he picked up the photograph and scanned the face of his old messmate. Afterward, he never passed Franklin without a smiling glance. But that glance, meant so kindly, had a sting. It seemed to say that he was in a position unworthy of his father's name. When a visiting congressman of the United States came aboard the cruiser as a guest, Pete instantly sought out Franklin, and taking him to one side where he would not be overheard said, now's your chance my bully boy a congressman can do most anything so they say you go right up to this one and knock your cap smart as you can and tell him who your father was and that you want to go to annapolis franklin had not the courage or the presumption whichever you call it pete called it gall if you won't sonny i will and when he saw the congressman sitting on the deck after general quarters he approached him with a eulogy as earnest as it was picturesque the congressman smiled and asked to see franklin now sonny said pete i've cleared the channel go forward and do your evolutions as franklin stood before the elderly dignified man sitting beside the captain on the captain's deck he felt himself to be quite the most insignificant apprentice in the world the congressman looked him over keenly from head to foot as if he were examining the texture of the cloth on the back of his jacket do you want to go to annapolis did he want to does the tender shoot of spring want the sunlight franklin's voice trembled with hope yes sir more than anything else in the world i'm not making any promises the congressman said finally congressmen having a pocketful of blanks to fill out whenever they see a bright boy I'll see what i can do when by the rules of the navy franklin was supposed to be sound asleep that night he was wide awake building air castles how long would he have to wait before he heard from the congressman would he ever hear the statesman did not appear again aboard the cruiser ship for many days in the meantime a new cadet with his stripe fresh on his arm came to the cruiser it was none other than franklin's own cousin edward when they met at drill there was no look of recognition in edward's face later in one of the intervals of the day which the forecastle may call its own the officer came aft and in a patronizing manner asked the apprentice how he was getting on when franklin told him very well edward said it was awkward for an officer to have a cousin in the forecastle and walked away franklin flushed at the remark and repeated under his breath his father's advice as the soldier of the old, superstitious days repeated his talisman. The next day Franklin had shore leave. On his way back to the quay, he saw his fellow apprentice, Charlie, in bad company. He forgot all else except his friend's plight and his horror over it. When, finally, he had separated Charlie from the lounger who wanted to show the sailor boy the town, the cruiser's launch had gone. They had to hire a native to row them out in a banca which crept at a snail's pace in the gathering darkness for the first time in his life franklin was among the accused who stood at the mast the next morning to hear their sentences from the captain who acts as judge and with the captain was the congressman franklin saw his look of surprise as their eyes met the captain spoke of his own grief in delivering sentence of suspension from leave privilege for six months franklin's head swam and his cheeks were aflame he could only reply with the hoarse yes sir as he turned to go he heard the congressman say sarcastically that he did not think that boy was so very anxious to go to annapolis franklin was the only one of the ship's company who did not brighten when they received the electric thrill of an order which broke their weary vigil in the famous bay by sending the cruiser to patrol duty among the southern islands but when they were under way franklin found that the congressman was still aboard and his hopes revived a little for a week of coasting from port to port he looked in vain for some event which would set him right then came an order transferring him he was assigned to the marietta a tiny gunboat no bigger than a harbour tugboat and but with half the draft he had only time to get his belongings together which does not take a sailor long he found that his cousin had also been transferred and was to be commander of the Cockleshell. shell the marietta's first assignment was to take none other than the congressman up a river to the capital of a province where he had a son an officer of the army in command of the garrison there franklin would definitely see the last of him they had no thought of meeting with any delay on their run of the five miles of winding stream but it is when they are least expected that guerrillas appear the congressman was sitting in the bow admiring the scenery the little engine was chugging earnestly the screw was whirling vigorously through the muddy water when out of the soft green foliage of the right bank cracked a volley the congressman a veteran himself dropped on the deck and looked about him for a rifle his old eyes flashing the cadet had never been under fire before he dodged and fell on the deck with the others franklin was at the wheel and remained erect "'Frightened, but not forgetting his duty. "'There had not been a tremor of the rudder. "'Steer for that bank! Sharp, sharp!' Edward called, and Franklin obeyed. "'I don't want to, to endanger your life,' he panted to the congressman, "'his sentence broken by the ring of a bullet against the hull, "'and whistle of other bullets over their heads. "'Seems to me I'd put a few shots back at them. "'In the meanwhile,' said the congressman, "'what's that for?' He nodded toward a rapid-fire gun in the bow. And that? Toward a one-pounder in the stern. Edward could not fail to take the hint. He sprang up with trembling limbs and ran to the rapid-fire gun, calling for the other to be manned. A bullet struck its support before he could put it in action. That made him forget all his training. He aimed wildly and jammed the delicate machine almost instantly then in his desperation he ran toward the wheel Steering closer closer it's too shallow sir franklin replied no it's not the ensign could hear the triumphant shouts of the insurgents who increased their fire he was wild with exasperation it's not he repeated and seized the wheel in his own hands and turned it hardily the bow veered sharply for an instant the boat flew forward then grounded as if they had been waiting on this for a signal a fire broke out from some bushes which rose above the level of the grassy bank on the left side both sides gasped the ensign he sprang overboard as much to avoid the fire as anything push her off everybody leaped into the water when the insurgents on the left bank saw the predicament of the americans They broke out of their cover with a yell and came running toward them. Meanwhile, the Marietta was still in range of the fire from the other side. It was a question only of minutes, yes, of seconds, before they would be prisoners. The current swung the Marietta partially around and drove her fast into the soft mud, and the misdirected efforts of her crew to free her were as unavailing as if she were a battleship. "'Can't somebody fire that gun? Can't somebody fire?' the congressman called putting the strength of his sixty years against the hole and feeling his shoes sinking in the soft ooze beneath them at this juncture in face of the fire franklin sprang on deck and ran aft to the jammed instrument of their hope he felt as cool as his father's son ought to feel under such circumstances the parts of the mechanism were not a jumble to him as they were to the excited cadet and he saw the difficulty and how simple it was his study his questions had not been in vain man the one pounder get the rifles everybody he called with the instinct of command as they tumbled aboard the crew heard the rat-tat-tat of the gun under franklin's hand sweeping the field of white-shirted figures pressing forward and soon a little shell from the one pounder threw up dirt at their feet the insurgents were too near their prize to be stopped yet keep cool everybody keep cool said the congressman himself firing with the nice calculation of a man at a range the americans did not realize that shots were still coming from the rear they knew that the insurgents on the other side of the stream could not cross it and that was enough if the gun should jam again all would be lost but it did not jam and soon the insurgents no longer able to stand the persistent accuracy of the machine began to fall back and finally ran in pell-mell flight leaving their wounded behind promptly franklin whirled his gun round and began firing upon the first attacking party which withdrew when it saw that it was unsupported by the other side when excitement no longer made their efforts futile and one was not pushing against another and with the screw properly directed to their assistance the crew was very soon able to force the stranded marietta back into the stream After the congressman had emptied the water out of his shoes and was once more seated, with nothing to do but to enjoy the scenery, he said to Franklin, in beaming gratitude, Well, young man, you're quite a general. Franklin blushed. The remark did not make him think of his ambition. It gave him speech for another cause. Oh, sir, I want you not to believe that those charges were true. They weren't. I wouldn't have overstayed leave if I hadn't been. But— "'But you ask Charlie the rest.' "'I don't believe them. "'To prove it, all you've got to do is to pass the examination to Annapolis. "'I'll see that you get the appointment.' Franklin's manner and his eyes spoke his gratitude better than his tongue. Edward, who had overheard, looked proudly at his cousin, and then said to the congressman, "'I thank you, too, sir. "'I shan't be happy till he wears the uniform his father wore. "'He saved us all to-day.' his little speech saved edward from a court of inquiry he became franklin's best friend and if ever he goes into action again there is no doubt that he will behave like a veteran end of section twenty